Hi all, Jacob Austin here, owner of QS.Zone, and welcome to episode 25 of the Subcontractors Blueprint, the show where subcontractors will learn how to ensure profitability, improve cash flow, and grow their business. Today's episode, number 25, is going to be about defects. And this is another one of those things where in construction, we don't have a proper definition of the word defect. The NEC contract has a definition which says something like a part of the works which is not in accordance with the scope or part of the designed work which is not in accordance with either applicable law or the accepted design. Whereas the JCT is completely silent on it and all it says somewhere is that the contractor must go and make good defects, shrinkages or other faults. Some people take a fairly simplistic definition of the word and take it to mean something that doesn't do what it should or perform how it should and I would say in broader terms that it is work that doesn't meet either the specification or the standard that was required by the contract due to faults in the work, faults in the materials or design and deficiencies in quality. And there are two types of defect that get spoken about in the construction industry which are latent defects and patent defects. So let's first talk about what the difference is between those two things. So patent in this sense is meaning easily recognizable, obvious. Think patently clear. You don't have to go looking for it. It just is not right. So let's discuss an example on that. And we'll use the same example in latent and patent defect form of a crack on a wall. So I had a patent defect on a project. We were constructing the external wall is supported by a steel frame and one section of the building cantilevered out so that you could walk underneath it. And it was actually designed like that so that cars that were exiting the car park of the building didn't have a corner of the building in their way as they're looking round to make sure there's no pedestrians or vehicles coming. But that corner had another five storeys of building above it and as the masonry continued to be built all the way up to the top course the extra weight and the load on that corner was causing some deflection in the steel and a crack appeared at the junction between the last vertical column that went all the way down to the ground and the large steel which was projecting horizontally which was then carrying the five storeys of building above it. And we had the client's clerk of works coming around taking great delight in telling us that we've got a problem. Oh no, the building's going to fall down. And whilst no such thing actually did happen, it was cause for concern, and what you could see was this large crack appearing at the junction between the connection. The lintel that was there taking the load was all still in place, no problems with that, but there was this crack that had gone straight through the bricks in a pretty much straight line through about 10 courses. And that was a patent defect, you could clearly see it. There was no need to break any surface finishing to expose a defect. It was there in plain sight, obvious, clear as day. And what we had to do, we invited the structural engineer out, we broke away the brickwork where the crack had formed and exposed the steel connection. And we just let it stand for a matter of a few weeks. The structural engineer was satisfied when he had his second visit that there was nothing happening to that joint. And all it was was a defect that was caused by the weight of the masonry above loading down and bearing down on the supporting steel. Now that happened whilst we were on site. You could say that we were actually lucky that we were still there. We still had scaffolders on site. We still had bricklayers there doing something else. So we had all of the means to correct the defect at our disposal. 
And that is where latent defects become a bit more of an issue. Because once the building is handed over, retentions are released, everybody's contracts are finished, your site team moves on to something completely different, it becomes an altogether bigger problem to start investigating it in the first part and then putting it right. So a latent defect then, let's look at the same defect and pretend that was a latent defect. If we'd have handed that building over and there hadn't been that problem, that natural settlement, that deflection has yet to really occur. Then perhaps six, eight years down the line, a new occupier of the building decides to bring his book collection to his new office and lines the room with a small library of biology textbooks and his 20 years of research. And this creates this massive load that wasn't there before. All of a sudden the building is deflecting and this crack appears. Now, all right, a lot of weight has been added, but let's say that that's within the performance parameters of the floor. So the contractor now has to remobilize the site, bring his structural engineer, pay his trades to provide the access to break open the wall, exposing that steel connection. And this time, let's say one of the bolts is sheared off and it must have had a manufacturing defect. But that defect got built in. It wasn't clear and obvious. It didn't manifest until years later. You couldn't have possibly known about it and corrected for it whilst the construction was still happening. And thereby, a reasonable inspection that had taken place at handover could never have spotted that. And it's a hidden or dormant problem. There's often not a lot that the client can do about a latent defect. They obviously have that contractual link back to the contractor. And perhaps if the contractor has gone insolvent, they've asked for a collateral warranty, which provides a third party link back to say the designing steelwork contractor, the structural engineer, the architect involved in the scheme. By a period of years later, any retention that has been held on the project has long since been paid out. And unless there is a latent defect insurance, which there often is in the case of say housing projects, your premier guarantee or NHBC, those types of cover, they're exactly that. They are there to provide for latent defects. Common types and causes of latent defects are most often out of design and manufacturing faults, issues with the structure that are hidden behind plasterboard finishes, leaking plumbing joints, small perforations in a roof that then get bigger over time, faulty electric systems, ventilation that doesn't perform as it's designed, which might then lead to damp problems, drainage that isn't sufficient when you get to heavy rain weather. As a subcontractor, these might sound like things that you can't do anything about, but there are some factors that can contribute. You've got poor workmanship, either by using poorly qualified staff or staff that are on too keen a price, so they're cutting corners and leaving things not properly finished. You've got poor quality products and you've got potentially poor design. And the limited things that you can do to prevent these kind of issues is just making sure that you're buying quality products, you're checking that your staff that you're employing are suitably qualified. And if you are responsible for design, that you're using a responsible and reputable designer. If you are called back to some kind of investigation, then you might be presented with reports such as moisture assessments or thermal imaging, photographs and videos, or photos taken via a boroscope. Or even these might be things that you think are sensible to do, to investigate a defect and you might be called in at the sign of an uneven floor, the presence of moisture or mould or cracks in walls and ceilings. Any one of these things can present itself and then it's a reason to probe further and try and seek out what the problem is. 
Now, if you get called back to look at a defect, the best thing that you can do is to crack on with it. Acting quickly is an essential preventative measure. You want to see this as a problem that you nip in the bud before it turns into a much larger issue. And as well as doing the obvious in repairing damaged finishings and repairing and reinforcing pieces that have broken, you want to consider whether what you're doing is going to fix the problem long term. And that might mean throwing some money at the problem, but on the flip side of that, if it prevents it from turning into a larger problem or prevents it from reoccurring and you revisiting and putting it right again in the future, then that is potentially the best thing to do. And what you don't want is something that is now a small issue developing and turning into something much larger and also growing into a health and safety problem and potentially injuring somebody down the line. And a further point on this, it's much better for you to get involved and rectify the issue than let the employer refer the matter to their insurer. Their insurer will probably correct the issue themselves. They won't use a particularly competitive contractor to put the work right. They will use somebody that they know and trust, probably on some kind of schedule of rates that they can quickly mobilise and get on site to sort the problem out. And then they'll add to that all of their administration fees and whatever payout they agree with the building user. And much of that might be avoided by some proactive effort on your part to get back to site and sort the issue out yourself. Now going back to patent defects. These can be defects that are clear and obvious either during the construction of the building itself or that crop up within the defects liability period. And the whole point of that period is that it's reasonably common for the majority of issues within a building to rear their heads within the first year of it being finished. And defects that are found during the defects liability period are dealt with largely the same as we've just discussed for latent defects. The best thing that you can do is be proactive about attending site, identifying what the problem is, discussing with the contractor whether it's your fault or whether it's the fault of some materials that somebody else has provided or it's somebody else's work that's caused the problem. All of these things are best off done up front and then the sooner that is rectified, the better it is for everybody. During the course of the job, it's a bit of a different situation. You obviously have got your lads there you've got materials, the site manager's there to see things and to check on the quality of this and that, and at various points you might be pulled up and asked to correct something. In the majority of cases, because you know what you're doing, you're constructing to design drawings, usually these are little bits of workmanship or something that didn't quite get finished on one shift, somebody's come in the following day and started on something else and left a little bit of work behind, and those little bits of odds and ends that need to be picked up and completed. Quite often these things can seem insignificant, but from the contractor's point of view, there's often an issue where you can't then get the follow-on trade to start because he hasn't got a full run at the work until you've fully finished all of your work. And these little bits of small-scale issues, minute defects, this is what your retention is really there for, is to keep some skin in the game for each of the supply chain to make sure they come back and do the right thing and finish off their work but you occasionally get something really quite significant. Let's say there's a retaining wall, and rather than following the design details for it, which showed an English bond brickwork wall out of Class B engineering bricks, the contractor has gone rogue and built one skin out of 7.5 Newton blockwork and one skin out of engineering bricks. And once the wall is finished and they've backfilled behind the blockwork, you probably wouldn't know anything was wrong. But the issue with that is, when you're building out of English bond, the two skins of brickwork are naturally tied together by the bond. And also, a 7.5 Newton block 
is one tenth of the strength of a class B engineering brick. So coupled together, you've got a far, far weaker structure and it's not likely to perform to the same standards as the original design. Now, in spite of that work being finished, it's a clear defect. It falls short of the standard required by the contract and the finished wall is of lesser specification than what has been bought. So in this instance, the contractor is able to make an adjustment pending that piece of work being put right. And that adjustment is likely going to be more than the cost of building the wall in the first place because they're now in a situation where not only have they got to build the wall again, they've got to demolish what's there and dispose of it all. So a word of warning if you're thinking of deviating from the specification, because when that comes back to bite, it will hurt. And you'll be expected to put it right. Now in a slightly different situation, let's say there's been a cavity wall constructed, and for some reason the clerk of works suspects that the fire barriers have not been fully fitted in all places shown on the fire strategy drawing. Now what the clerk of works can do and what will happen is the contractor will issue the same instruction downstream to you, is they can issue a direction or an instruction to open up the work. And what the proviso is in this instance, is that the clerk of works isn't fully certain that there is a defect. So this instruction to open up the works is a test to check whether you're meeting the specification or not. And whoever is found to be wrong in this situation is the person who bears the cost. So for this particular example, we're going to have to break into the facing brickwork and expose some areas where we would expect there to be a cavity barrier installed, take a photographic record to demonstrate whether it's there or not, and close up the work again, reinstating the facing brickwork. Now if the clerk of works is wrong, and the proved to not be a defect, then the cost of that testing can be added to the final account as a variation. Now under a JCT contract, there's no obligation for these kind of defects to be notified at any particular time. And sometimes it can seem like the clerk of works will store up these issues and then drop them all out at a critical point in the job. And this position does seem a little bit unfair because the contractor is obliged to notify issues once they've occurred. And even more proactively under the NEC form of contracts, they're required to give an early warning notice if they foresee that anything could affect time, cost or quality. So why shouldn't the same apply to the employer and their clerk of works or supervisor? Finally then, there is a possibility of damages being awarded or becoming liable for damages as a result of there being a defect. And firstly with this, damages can only be deducted from you as a subcontractor if the same damages have been deducted from the contractor by their client or alternatively, if there are some costs incurred by the contractor as a result of your defect that are perhaps incurred by another contractor, they would be able to contracharge you for that cost. However, on occasion, the client may decide that, okay, this defect has happened. Whilst we go back to that, we don't just want to put the defect right, we want to improve the situation. Let's say there's been a fault with the roofing, the flat roof membrane gets ripped out and replaced, but the employer decides that they also want to upright the insulation whilst they're there. The principle is that where corrective action is taken, it should put the employer back in the position that they started in, i.e. as if there hadn't been a defect in the first place. So in that instance, the employer should be paying for that increased spec of insulation and they should be contributing towards your cost of being there. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. My mission is to help the million SME subcontractors working within our industry. If you've taken some value away from today's episode, I'd love it if you'd share the show and pass that value on to somebody else who would benefit from hearing it. And thanks for tuning in. If you like what you've heard and you want to learn more, 
please do find us at www.qs.zone. That's the letters qs.zone, Z-O-N-E, where you can subscribe to our training and support system for like-minded subcontractors. In there, you'll find templates, how-to videos, interviews, and more. It's less than the price of a cup of coffee per day, and you can cancel any time. We're also on all of your favorite socials at qs.zone. Thanks again. I've been Jacob Austin, and you've been awesome.